Um, a couple things just to let you know about before we jump into the scriptures. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 if you want to turn there, but uh, before, before we jump into Acts. Um, first, uh, Sarah prayed and a few folks from Salt and Light were part of a memorial for Sterling Selman yesterday. And some of us knew Sterling um, from our sending church. And um, just want to let you know, some of you have asked kind of what are ways that we can help Stephanie, his, his new young widow. Um, and so there's a GoFundMe page, there's a meal calendar, that kind of stuff. So we'll be sending uh, some of that info out this week uh, for folks who, who want to come alongside and even do a little bit of what we've been talking about this month of, of uh, giving to, to those who have need. Um, Sterling was in the, the hospital for several weeks before he passed. And so there's, uh, just as you can imagine, all sorts of costs uh, associated with that. And so we get to be... Uh, the body of Jesus coming around um, our sister in her time of grief and help her bear some of those burdens in some tangible ways. So uh, we'll send out info on the GoFundMe page and the meal calendar. Um, and also, if, if you are, if you happen to find some free time this week, uh, Stacy, our, our who directs uh, Fortress, which is our host organization here, Stacy's in the kitchen when we got here. Um, they lost their kitchen manager this week and have a school full of kids to feed. And so she goes, if anybody knows how to work a fryer, basically, and has some free time. Um, we've got a bunch of kids and, and, and parents and that kind of stuff. So if you uh, have some free time this week and doesn't have to be a fryer, if you like salads more, I'm sure that'd be fantastic as well. But they have, they have all the food and that kind of stuff. But she just goes, hey, if you, if you just mentioned this to your church family, we need, we need just some help this week. So there's that. And then finally, elementary kids. Look up here for me. We're so glad that you're back in here. This room felt empty last week. Our hearts felt a little empty last week with, with you being in, in, in your class. And so here's what I want to ask you, okay? For the next just half hour or so, I would love for you to help answer questions as we ask them. Um, and if you want to draw a picture of something that we talk about, it can be anything at all. And even if you don't know exactly what it's supposed to look like, it can be anything. If you want to draw a picture of that, and then we'll look at them afterwards. We can go around and look at the different tables, okay? So we can have a little art exhibit afterwards, but it means you have to like listen and then and then pay attention to something you want to draw. Also, we're a little short on paper for some of the tables today. So there's uh, kids sheets in the, uh, at the entry table um, for kids who are at a paperless table or for, for adults who learn by drawing as well. So, all right. So, now, Acts chapter 2. So um, I was with a group of pastors this week of other church leaders, um, and together we were working on what a definition of discipleship is. Um, and, and there's this, this, this part of the process just I felt like we needed to, to bring into our gathering tonight as we think about what is discipleship. Discipleship is one of those words that gets thrown around a lot. Gospel is another one of those words that gets thrown around a lot. There's these words that we use kind of in, in churches and in Christian worlds that that are commonplace, and because they're commonplace, they can mean everything or they can mean nothing. Um, and so the way that this group of, of church leaders define discipleship, which for the record is not the only way to define discipleship, but the way we defined it is that discipleship is increasingly knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Discipleship is increasingly knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And we feel like increasingly is a good word because it's not this, this one-time, one-shot, take a class, and then you're, you got it all together. Like over our lives, over the years that we're walking with Jesus, we'll, we'll be increasingly shaped into his image. And so hopefully that's freeing, like we take a long-term view of this thing. And, and then saying by the power of the Spirit just reminds us that, that it's not about us and it's not about how many actions or checkboxes or this kind of stuff 
we can, we can carry out. But the concept that seemed newest to some of the pastors, some of the, the pastors on this call, was this concept of knowing, loving, and obeying Jesus. And I don't know if this is true of you, but, but as, I, as I get to work with other church leaders, it seems like a lot of discipleship, that term that gets thrown around a lot, a lot of discipleship is limited to how much do you know about God? How much, how much can you recite about God? How, how much do you read about God? And, and, and the reality is most discipleship is just based on knowing more. Sometimes it's kind of the stirring of affections. Do you love God more? But, but the most lacking thing, and as, as, as church leaders from around the world look at Western Christianity, they'll say the thing that you lack is first prayer, but second, uh, you lack a discipleship that requires obedience. We lack the doing as, as a whole. And, and, and I just mentioned that to, to kind of bring us into focus today. We're, we're going to ask, what does it look like to truly obey Jesus? In salt and light language, we're going to ask, what does it look like to do what Jesus did? And if you've been walking with us for this month, you know that we're kind of just revisiting who we are. We're revisiting a little bit of our, our mission and our values, and we're spending all three weeks this month in one text. So the end of Acts 2, which we'll read in just a moment. In the last two weeks, we've talked about being with Jesus and then becoming like Jesus. And so today what we see is that, that Jesus first did the things that we see the church doing in Acts 2. And we're going to see that Jesus empowers us as the church in Fort Worth, Texas in the 21st century. He, Jesus empowers us to do the same thing. So we're talking about doing what Jesus did. So let me pray for us real quick. Father, would you, as Matt asked, would you teach us? Um, would you be our guide and our leader today? Um, would you help us to do what Jesus did? Not for our glory at all, not by our power at all, but for your glory and by your power. It's in your son's name. Amen. Right, so the last couple of weeks, if you were here, you may remember that we referred to kind of some of Salt and Light's value statements toward the end of our teaching time. Today, I want to start with the third value statement because it might be a helpful lens to, to relook at Acts 2, 42 through 47. So here's the last value statement. If you'll go forward, just one more slide for me. To do what Jesus did, okay, we talked about to, to be with Jesus looks like these couple things, to become like Jesus looks like these couple things. This is how we're trying to encapsulate doing what Jesus did. Doing what Jesus did means we devote ourselves to the things that God values. So first, we want to pursue, as a church family, sincere priorities. We want to fight the temptations that are always around us to busyness and distraction and excess and shallowness and instead devote ourselves to the countercultural things that God calls his people to value. We do this in our own lives and together. We want to pursue sincere relationships. So in Sunday gatherings, in everyday life, in our DNA groups, I'll add it to that, we want to value everybody's different giftings and perspectives and experiences as being vital to our lives and our growth together. And then finally, we pursue sincere discipleship. We want to practice what the Bible calls the one another commands often. We want to take responsibility for each other's growth. And as part of discipleship, we want to be trained to follow the ways of Jesus. Again, that's that obedience piece and be sent to make disciples and even multiply churches. So some of these uh, we addressed a little bit last week, but, but the, the sincere repetition there, the word sincere is, is saying we want to be authentic about these things. We want to be genuine about these things. And that's hard in a world that promotes hiding 
It's hard to have sincere relationships in a world that promotes putting your best foot forward all the time. It's hard to promote sincere discipleship in a world that, that promotes distance. It's a countercultural picture of life together, and it's why that's important. And so even before we jump into Acts chapter 2, if you were here the last couple of weeks, or kids, help us think about this. Um, I want to think about Jesus' life. Jesus' own life, and ask you, what are some ways that Jesus devoted himself to some of the things that we saw in Acts chapter 2? And so I'll just remind you, he, we, we, see, we see, and we'll read in a minute, that the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and the prayers and the fellowship, and awe and wonder came upon every soul, and signs and wonders were being done, and the church was giving of itself to, to help those who had need, and they were going to the temple and meeting together daily in relationship, and God added to their number. We'll read it here in a minute, but those are some of the things that we'll see. What are, what are some ways Jesus did some of those things? How did Jesus devote himself to some of those things that the church after him devoted themselves to? Anything come to mind? I'm real good with awkward silence, so. Say again. He does go off by himself to pray. Thanks, Roger. How else did Jesus devote himself to those kind of things? When he knew the Old Testament, he knew it in and out. He knew it better than almost anybody, or probably not almost. He knew it better than anyone did. <laughs> what else? Yeah. Yeah, he healed a lot of people. He, he performed a, a lot of signs and wonders, both physical healing and, and spiritual healing. Anything else? Shared meals with others. Yeah, not just the Last Supper. And, and not even folks that, like society said, were the right people to share meals with. Good. And we could go on with this, but, but it, it shouldn't be surprising then that as his disciples spent time with Jesus... They became more and more like Jesus. And so, so as we read Acts chapter 2, all we're seeing is the early church practicing the same priorities and relationships and discipleship that they saw their Lord practicing. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we read Acts chapter 2, we, we can think of things that Jesus did first because the church was made up of folks who saw him doing those things and walked with him as he did those things. So similar to the last couple weeks, I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Remember that, that devotion is the key. Devotion says that there are things that matter more than other things. And then we have this conversation. So as I read, just think through this lens. How did the first century church devote themselves to these sincere priorities, relationships, and discipleships? This is Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You can do this, kids, you can do the sign motions again if you want to. Adults, you can as well. They devoted themselves to the, uh, let's repeat it. All right. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I should, have, I should have definitely seen that coming when I started reading. I'm going to keep going a little bit, though. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
when all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple and breaking their bread in homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. All right. So what are some ways that those activities reflect sincere priorities, sincere relationships, sincere discipleship? And maybe, if you want to think about it another way, what are some ways you've seen this in your life? Or why is it so hard to devote ourselves to some of those things? Yeah. 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 To, to really devote yourself to sincere relationships takes time and takes effort. And the, the pace we go at or the level we go to with some folks doesn't always allow for that kind of time. Is that fair? Anything I missed? All right. Yeah. Yeah, we do stuff together rather than just sit with. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. That's good. We have agendas. Good. What are some other ways that you see these activities as promoting sincere discipleship, sincere relationships, and sincere priorities? Or how does this look in your life? Or what's hard? I mean, one thing I've noticed is it's, it's, it's hard to enter in past a certain point where Maybe we, f- we feel like we want to ask a question or there's something going on in somebody's life that we feel we want to press into, but it feels like, oh, that's, that's out of bounds. That's off limits. Um, and, and even if we know it might be a good conversation, we, we, we risk the relationship if we go there. And so we stop short sometimes. Anything else? One more maybe? Yeah, yeah, if everything, yeah, if everything's a priority, then nothing becomes a priority. Yeah, that's good. I think there's a couple things that we can miss as we read through the scriptures, and just because of the the culture we live in, our fast-paced and busy and distracting culture, there's a couple things we can miss. One is, and I love that Roger mentioned this, one is that Jesus would slow down and and seek God and, and, and would, would seek to be led by the Spirit into what his priorities were. He didn't give in to the demands of the world around him. He didn't even give in to, to, to what his disciples thought were best sometimes. 
Um, my favorite scene in Mark is one that, that Roger kind of referenced. Jesus had just had this day of fruitful ministry in this one city called Capernaum. He had done wonders and signs to use Acts 2 language and demons had been cast out and he had taught and new people had come into the kingdom and traded into a better story. And, and then this happened. It'll be up here on the screen. This is from the gospel of Mark. Rising early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed after this long full day of ministry and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. Simon, Simon Peter, and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and they said, everyone is looking for you. So basically what, what, what Peter and the disciples are saying, where have you been? Like people are coming back. The people have heard what happened yesterday and now there's, there's more signs and wonders that are needed from you. And like, Jesus, this is our moment. This is early in Jesus's ministry. Jesus, this is the moment. And then Jesus replied, Meh, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And so he left what seemed logical. He, he left the town where all this stuff was happening, where momentum and, and fame had been building. He, he left a place where he was popular because he let God define his priorities and said it's time to go. And so there's a question for us to, to reflect on in this. What is it that determines our priorities? Who or what tells us how and where to spend our time? What busyness or distractions tempt us in the free moments where we don't have something right in front of us. And just for the record, your household or your work or school or these kind of things, they're, they're spiritual, they're good if that's where God has you in life. But do we take time to pause and ask God, what do you have for me right now? Or does busyness and distraction and excess and shallowness win the day? That's one thing we miss in this fast-paced, busy life is that God led Jesus and Jesus relied on God to determine his priorities. This, the second thing that we miss, though, is that a lot of Jesus' time was devoted to just a few people. We can miss this when we read the Gospels. Um, yes, he healed many. Yes, he, he taught the masses at one point, 5,000 plus women and children. But there were 72 folks that he walked with who were committed, or we could say devoted, to him. And within that, he had deeper relationships, and, and his most regular conversations were with this group of 12 called the Apostles. And even within that, Jesus' most intimate times and his deepest revelation were given, revelations were given to Peter and James and John. He had this three-person inner circle that he spent the majority of his time with. And I think there's something to that that we can miss, that, that deep is often better than wide. And we can feel really affirmed if we have a lot of wide, very occasional touch points. Few might be more fruitful than many. And so our goal today is not to say, hey, cut out every relationship but three. That's, that's not, <laughs> not where we're going. But as we prioritize sincere relationships, there, there is a point of going, man, if even Jesus was limited... It sounds almost heretical, right? But during his time here, he, he gave up. He set aside his right to the throne and he limited himself. If even Jesus was limited, number of hours per day, emotional capacity that he had for people, how much more are we limited? It's part of why we, we encourage smaller community, smaller DNA groups. No one in history was more 
deeply known. You ever thought about this? No one in history is more deeply known than Jesus' closest disciples. And we saw so much fruit coming from their lives after spending a few years walking with him. So again, there's a question for us here. Who knows you deeply? Who do you know deeply? Because it's out of these priorities and it's out of these relationships that we see in the apostles' lives sincere discipleship flowing. And so similarly, it's out of deep priorities and deep relationships, God-led priorities and committed relationships that, that authentic and sincere discipleship can bear fruit in our lives. We can't one another each other if we're not known or if we don't know what's going on in somebody else's life. We can't take responsibility for anyone or be trained to follow Jesus and sent to make disciples if, our, if other priorities, even good-sounding stuff, always wins the day, if we're always distracted. Sincere priorities, sincere relationships are the soil for sincere discipleship to bear fruit. Does that make sense? And so we just talked a lot about Jesus, not the first century church that was formed in his name that we read about, but, but that was intentional. Because as you think of Luke's description of that first century church, I simply want us to see that their activity, which must inform our church's activity, and their priorities and relationships and discipleship, which must impact our priorities and relationships and discipleship, those things were not ideas they came up with. The things that they devoted themselves to were not like, hey, let's sit around and decide what's best for us today. The early church merely did what they saw Jesus doing. And what's the result of the first century church doing what Jesus did? We see in, in, in Luke's summary, the very last words is that as they devoted themselves to these things and lived out their faith in public, God added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. And so within everything else that the church was on about, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking bread, the <laughs> fellowship, and the prayers, and other things. All the things they devoted themselves to, as they did that, they didn't lose sight of who they were. They didn't lose sight of, of who the Spirit of God empowered them to be. They, they held on to the role that, God had, that Jesus had given them in God's unfolding story. Because we have to remember, Acts 2 comes after Acts chapter 1. It's logic. And anyone know what the most famous verse in Acts chapter 1 is? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's going to be on the screen. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We want to come back to it today, though. You will receive power, Jesus tells him, before he ascends into the heavens, when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. This is who Jesus makes his disciples to be. You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. All month long, we have not just been asking, what are we supposed to do? All month long, we've taken a step deeper and goes, who has God made us to be? And so who are we, according to this verse, because of Jesus' redeeming work in us? We're witnesses. We, we are, the role that we have to play in God's story right now is that we are sent ones. Matthew captures this in a different way when Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, but you go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. This is what we get to celebrate as a church family next week. We're going to celebrate baptisms. 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And yet, all the pressure is not on you. I am with you always to the end of the age. And so I want us to think about this. The ministry we just talked about Jesus doing, did he, did he just do all those things? Teach the, 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 the words of the prophets in the Old Testament and perform healings and signs and pray? Did, did he do those things in private or public? Most of his ministry was in public. Good job, buddy. Did he do them with just his disciples or was a lot of his conversation, a lot of his teaching, a lot of his miracles? It was, it was, it was public to the point where he was doing a lot of his ministry in the face of opposition. What do you know of the book of Acts if you spent time there? And if you haven't, that's 100% okay. Did the first church live out their faith and ministry and mission in private or publicly? Publicly, there we go. We're getting some momentum now. No, they did what Jesus did. Jesus lived out his faith publicly. They lived out their faith publicly, even in the face of opposition. And more opposition than we will likely ever see. Familial rejection and persecution and death. Our faith is a public faith. There's a lot of what we saw in Philippians when we walked through Philippians this summer, that our faith is a public-facing faith. And so to these verses, to Acts chapter 2, as the first church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread, the table was open. The, the meals were being served for anyone who had need. People were selling their stuff and, and giving their stuff away in part because new converts to Jesus were being kicked out of their homes and they had nothing. And so it was an act of mission at times for them to sell what they had to meet needs. The church met those needs. People could join in to the meals as they sat around the tables and participate and receive. As they devoted themselves to prayer, they were praying for healing for others, for protection from the opposition, for signs and wonders to be carried out and for physical and spiritual restoration to be happened, just like they had seen Jesus pray and do. And we said this before, but it's worth reminding us, but, but when they attended temple, which we saw, they weren't going to, to, to sing songs and hear a sermon. That's not what was happening at the temple. The temple was not a place of Christian worship. It was a place of Jewish worship. And the heart of Jewish worship was animal sacrifice to cover the sins of a family or a nation. The first church believed that Jesus was the full and final sacrifice. So they weren't going to participate in, in worship. Why were they at the temple? That's where their unbelieving friends and loved ones and neighbors were. It's where their enemies and some of those who were persecuting them were. And so they would go into the lives of folks who didn't believe what they believe because they were doing what Jesus did. And he consistently went into the lives of people who didn't believe. And they would go and they would love their neighbors. And they would love their enemies. Who we are, salt and light, is who the first church in history was. Who we are is witnesses sent by Jesus into a broken and hurting and unbelieving world with the good news of a better king and a better story. What we do 
is follow Jesus's example. And what we do is follow the first church's example. What we do is display and declare that good news into people's needs and questions and unbelief and hurt and pain and confusion in the midst of that broken and hurting and unbelieving world. There's one author that summarized the early church's activity by saying the life and power of the Spirit of Christ in the believing community radiated light, radiated the light of the kingdom and thus drew people out of darkness. The, the things that they were devoting themselves to, the public faith that they were living out, it's just a beautiful image. The light, the life and power of the Spirit of Christ radiates the light of the kingdom and drew people out of darkness into that light. That's what we do. Because who are we? We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world, radiating nothing out of ourselves, but radiating forth the light of Christ. And so it's with that identity, and it's with that mission, and it's with that heart that, that our, our, our leadership team wants to invite our church family into three commitments over this school year. So we've mentioned all of them throughout these weeks, and I want to give you a chance to ask questions or, or chat about these. But, but as, as we invite you into a year of commitment to community and into a monthly spiritual practice, the final invitation is a weekly and daily one. So we want to invite you and challenge you to pray daily Everyone in Salt and Light would pray daily for God to open the door for a weekly good news conversation, is what we're calling it, a good news conversation. Our mission statement as a church is making disciples of Jesus by seeking his kingdom in everyday life. And so we want to intentionally equip you to make disciples and do so in our everyday lives and in our relationships. And some of us are really gifted at this and it just kind of flows out of us naturally and others of us need help and that's okay. I'm convinced though that one of the reasons that, that, that followers of Jesus have a hard time making disciples, and this is not just limited to our church, but, but it, is, it is partly our church as well. I'm convinced that one of the reasons we have a hard time making disciples is that we don't see opportunities that God puts right in front of us. And maybe that same busyness and distraction and everything, I love how you said this, Curtis, everything having equal priority, maybe, maybe the same busyness and distraction that blocks us from other priorities is somehow blinding to us, to the open doors for us to share the mystery of the faith, which is how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter four. Jesus sought God for his priorities and direction. The first century church was devoted to prayer. Similarly, the apostle Paul, who's often known as the greatest missionary of all times, asked his friends as he wrapped up his letter to the Galatians, he said, will you pray for us that God may open a door to us to declare the mystery of Christ? And, and the, the mystery of Christ is what we are calling for this year, a good news conversation. It's, it's asking the question, how is Jesus good news to this specific neighbor's need? It's asking the question, how, how is the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus an answer to this coworker's question? How is the gospel come to bear on this DNA member's pain? And on and on and on. 
what would it look like to be able to bring good news into someone's life, whether they claim to follow Jesus or not? What we can't ask you in, in integrity to commit to is will you have a good news conversation every week? We feel like that might be overstepping the open doors that the Spirit might do for us. It'd be great. It'd be great if God opens the doors for multiple times of sharing the gospel every week. And if he does that, then we can celebrate and say, praise God. But what we do want to invite us into, and for some of us, we just haven't prayed on this level before. Would you pray every day that God would open a door for you at least once a week to be able to share the good news of Jesus with someone in a way that actually meets something that they're going through? A good news conversation. So these are the three commitments that we're inviting for this school year. Monthly intentional practice, which is a way to, to, to reflex muscles of being with Jesus. There's dozens of these. Uh, a year of intentional devotion to being formed in community. So discipleship, DNA groups, and Sundays. A daily intentional prayer for God to open doors for a weekly intentional good news conversation. So I want to pause there. Any thoughts or questions on those? Anything unclear? We've chatted about them a little bit this week, but, but as we wrap up this month want to give an opportunity for, for questions or thoughts. All good? Okay, if you do have questions or thoughts, or if you're talking with folks in your DNAs who, who haven't been here, um, then, then feel free to reach out and ask questions. But I just want to say again, this is not like a, a legalistic, like just law and oppression that we're putting on you. We're just trying to give some tangible ways like a budget or like a workout regimen or this kind of stuff to, to say, yeah, okay, I want this. I want to be with Jesus more. I want to do what Jesus did. And here's just a couple of tangible first steps to help you do that. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. If you need help with that, that's, that's, that's what the church is called to help each other grow into. So I want to close, and then we're going to respond by singing songs and taking communion. So if you don't have your communion cup, you can go and get it on the entry table. But I want to close by saying this, displaying the gospel and declaring the gospel and being witnesses of the good news, it's not just simply some duty and not just simply some empty obligation. I hope what you've, what you've heard and what you've experienced is, is seeing that, that doing what Jesus did flowed out of being with Jesus and becoming like Jesus for the first century church. Similarly, as we spend more time with Jesus, as we become more like him, we shouldn't be surprised if, if our desire to talk about him starts to just flow out of us. Acts 1.8 is, is not the first command in Acts chapter 1. Acts 1.4 comes before Acts 1.8. And in, in Jesus' beautiful wisdom, he tells his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but rather to wait for the promise from the Father. He says, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It is only after the power of the Spirit came that they went and that God changed their language and that Peter gave this beautiful sermon and people started to come and know him. And so we don't do this by our own power. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, Jesus told his disciples. But when his spirit came, his disciples couldn't help but share the good news with everyone. On the day of his resurrection, there's a similar scene where two of Jesus' disciples were distraught. They were leaving Jerusalem. They were going home. They thought it was all over. Some of you know this story. It's, it's called The Road to Emmaus. 
And Jesus appeared, and as they walked, he shared with them how the whole Old Testament pointed to him and, and how every need they had would be met in him. And then he revealed themselves as they sat down, and he broke bread, and they shared wine. And, and, and if you remember what happened, Jesus disappeared. But then they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, when he opened to us the scriptures? And this is a picture of excitement. They rose that same hour. And they ran all the way back to Jerusalem. They returned to Jerusalem and they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Time and time again, after people experience spending time with Jesus, they can't help but share the good news. That's why we're witnesses. That's why we named our church Salt and Light. That's why our mission statement is making disciples of Jesus as we seek his kingdom. Where? In, in our everyday lives. We believe we know a better king. We believe there's a better story. We believe there's answers to pain and hurt and confusion. We believe there's good news. And so let's close by remembering Jesus the same way that the first century church did when they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And let's close by remembering Jesus in the same way that he revealed himself to these disciples on the road to Emmaus. So on the night that he gave up his body for us. He took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body. It's broken for you. And Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. The reason that, that the early church didn't have to go to the temple to worship God through sacrifices is because they believed Jesus covered all of our need and all of our sin one time forever. That was true in the first century. That's true today. Take and eat. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And then on the cross, Jesus took every sin, took every brokenness and promises that one day every broken piece and every hurt and every pain will one day be restored. The redemption that we experience, the redemption that his blood covers us into and calls us into is remembered as we take and drink and say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Father, thank you that by your blood you've made us one, that there is one sacrifice, there is one cup of blessing, there is one body, there is one Lord, there is one God, there is one church. God, would you help us to devote ourselves to sincere priorities, sincere relationships, sincere discipleship, not out of empty obligation, not because there's not other millions of things vying for our time, but because you are better. Would you cause us to slow down, to spend time with you, to know you for who you are? And would that good news flow out of us into every facet of our lives? For your glory, in your son's name.